are listening to Building with Builder, where we talk about all things building, whether it be building or renovating your dream home or developing for profit. We believe that building done the right way is fun. I'm Rebecca from Build Her Collective. Join us as we explore all aspects of this journey. Hello, lovely builders. We have Rebecca Gross on today. Now, she is an architectural and design writer and she's written Ottoman is Not a Crime. I love this book. We have an advanced copy and I'm very, very excited by it. Lots of amazing and inspiring work. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Rebecca. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell me, what's your background and how did you come to be writing this lovely book? So I, as you mentioned, I'm a design writer. So I write about architecture and design about 10 years ago, I did my master's degree in the history of decorative arts and design. And then I came back to Australia and thought, how can I put this to good use? So I started writing for different architecture magazines and websites directly for architects and designers. So I write a lot about residential housing in Australia. And through that, I have a pretty broad knowledge of what is trending in architecture or what's going on. And I started to spot this trend over recent years where interiors and architecture was just getting a lot more expressive. There was a lot of fun and materials and pattern and I wouldn't call it maximalist because there was a bit more of a restrained vibe and more of a narrative through it. Having done design history, there were sort of like themes that I saw about postmodernism coming back into interiors. So that's how the book came about. And then I yeah, looked around Australia on the internet and internationally and found a lot of projects where I found these themes and then I could frame them in postmodernism. So. Yeah. And so also, like, how do we relate that to today's architecture and what can we learn out of that, I guess, would be a kind of theme of the book as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully there's a lot of inspiration, both in the pictures and in the writing, because the writing kind of digs deeper into what the designers or architects were doing and how they came up with their concepts and how they worked with the clients. But I think some of the main themes that come through from it are really experimenting a lot more and being more expressive and tapping into your clients' personalities or memories or sense of a nostalgia so that you're telling their story through the design. There's a lot of colour, there's a lot of different shapes and scales, those tropes, form follows function and less is more, they definitely don't apply here. <laughs> form doesn't have to follow function and less isn't always more. And probably not so much about designing for a broad market, but trying to be quite niche. There's not necessarily broad appeal in a lot of these projects, although I'm sure they would all do very well if they went to sale. Yeah, they're all out there, but I think it's probably the same way that I love looking at kind of commercial architecture is because they've almost got a license to be more fun and be more playful. And you're right, experiment. And so you can draw from that. You can draw from the use of colour or the use of pattern or the clash of old and new in some of these projects, which 
I think is really beautiful. Yeah, that's right. Everything, it doesn't have to go together. There can be really interesting sort of colour combinations or material combinations. There's one project by Wo Wo Wa, and in the kitchen they describe the yellow bench top as, you know, inspired by paddle pops because that was one of the client's sort of memories of childhood. And then when she describes the rest of the kitchen materials and joinery, they've all got this sort of like confectionery flavour to them like hundreds of thousands or chocolate. So really just sort of like drawing on these different ideas of where you could develop your design concept from. And so they've developed from there, but then they're also pairing it with kind of more traditional design elements as well as they go through and it's that repetition. Like in that specific project, I love the texture of the brick and the repetition around the windows and the curving of it, like which is in the kitchen. And whilst I'm probably less brave and wouldn't do a yellow kitchen, (laughs) actually the rest of that kitchen, except for the yellow, is quite pared back and... You know, mm-hmm. the texture of it's really beautiful. Yeah, it's not necessarily carried everywhere on every single surface through a house. It's very much chosen about where it's going to go. And then furniture is quite modern as well. So it's, yeah, just kind of experimenting and bringing personality and, I guess, flavour, no pun intended, into the space. There's definitely been a movement to monochromatic and plain and textured and then at the same time there's the opposite side of that scale in the spectrum is this push to individuality and being playful and you know what this house is for us and if we like graphics there's a really fun project you've got in there called super graphic it's kind of nuts but it really works (laughs) so fun it is yeah it is like it's nothing you'd think of so it's by studio sam buckley the designer Sam Buckley he's in Edinburgh and it's sort of a historical terrace house and every single surface is covered with color and shape it's very geometric but the way he's done it it all works together so sometimes he'll highlight the heritage features of the apartment and sometimes he'll go right over them ignore them which is something that the postmodernist did as well and there, but it's really clever the way he's he's brought it all together, and he's designed the rug and like the really abstract sort of ceiling rows. The ceiling's really cool, just a wash of colour. And actually, you know, like if I look at some projects now, although they don't have the graphic and the movements through it, that kind of point in where we're washing out the colour with over the ceiling and over that heritage is something that is being used quite a lot in more common and mainstream projects as well so none of this is a like we want this house exactly you're not going to do that but you can draw from it in so many different ways yeah that's right you might just spot an idea and think that's interesting that's something different like postmodernism came about because in the 60s and 70s a lot of architects and designers looked around and looked at the environment and the buildings and thought everything's starting to look the same you know, modernism was everywhere. It was ubiquitous and all the character was coming out of the built environment. So it's this idea that design is cyclical, which is, you know, we have a lot of modernist paired back, beautiful housing today, which have really like simple palettes. But again, some people are saying, I want more character and expression. So talk us through that theme 
kind of from history where you had that kind of modernist where everything's like refined and simple and then they're building on it. So how did that cycle come about and how are you seeing that work through now? I guess the 40s, 50s, 60s is characterised a lot by modernist architecture and particularly in Europe and America where they're sort of like demolishing traditional housing and neighbourhoods and building large developments. And then architects like Robert Venturi and Denise Scott Brown, this is in America, Charles Jenks, Michael Graves, they felt that the built environment was starting to lack character and personality and individuality and diversity. And Venturi and Denise Scott Brown sort of looked at Las Vegas and went, look at what's going on here. There's so much happening. It's complex and it's contradictory. And this is what our environments should be. And then so they, they and others started designing buildings and furniture, which looked to history and pulled motifs from classical architecture or Gothic furniture and created a really contemporary style in the 70s and 80s. They just draw on motifs that we're familiar with, like the columns on a classical building. We know that they suggest status and they would use elements like that to communicate to people what a building might be so that there's sort of meaning within architecture without it because we're just familiar with that language. So they designed chairs for Knoll, like they'd take the silhouette of, say, a Gothic chair, but it would be incredibly thin metal, and then they'd put like a confetti pattern all over it. We know the language of Gothic architecture, and then they've just sort of made it more fun and expressive. And then in Italy, there were lots of young architects and designers who wanted to change the world through design. They're called the Italian radicals. They were doing a lot of stuff that was just really out there. And from that along the way emerged Memphis in the early 1980s, who people might be quite familiar with, but they just did form definitely didn't follow function. They used a lot of color. They used veneers and plastics that used cheap materials that make expensive objects. So again, it was just all this experimenting with form and color and materials just to push the boundaries and do something different. So those are some of the themes that I picked up in this generation of what I'm, you know, new postmodernism now. And then that's what I've interpreted in the projects in the book. So some of them are really obvious. There's a great one by Owl Design for an apartment in London where you can see quite obvious references to Memphis. And some of them are not at all obvious. And I've just sort of taken those themes and ideas that I thought the postmodernists in the 70s and 80s were doing to see how they kind of apply today. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, you know, like if you've always been passionate about this or was it just that you picked up on some of these references and then wanted to explore and how did that then get turned into this book? When I studied design history, I had no idea what postmodernism was. I just thought it was, you know, all the sort of ridiculous stuff you saw in the 1980s. <laughs> um, but once I learned a little bit more about it, it just became really interesting to me. And it's a topic that's just come up here and there throughout my writing and people I've got to speak to and interview. So the book's published with Thames and Hudson and I spoke with them, it was just before COVID and it wasn't about anything in particular. It was just about either I feel if I could help with writing or copy editing. And then during COVID, Paulina at Thames and Hudson and 
in the Sydney office, contacted me and asked if I would be interested in writing a book. And did I have any ideas? I said I'd think about it. And then this one just came to me out of the blue, to be honest. <laughs> it wasn't something that had been on my mind, but there were a few projects or designers, Wawa, YSG, Sibling Architecture, who are based, all of three are in either Melbourne or Sydney, and sort of their work. And yeah, Thames and Hudson was on board with it. So then I got to explore it a bit more by looking for projects overseas as well. So the book has houses in the UK, in Europe and America, as well as Australia. Those projects stand out. They make a statement. They force you to think and stop. And I think that's kind of part of their purpose, wasn't it? To push back on everything being the same. The title that you've got there in Ornament is Not a Crime. How did that come about? There's a few sort of like sayings when it comes to modernist architecture. So form follows function, less is more, ornament is a crime. The actual phrase is ornament and crime, and it comes from Adolf Luce, who wrote a lecture and essay in the early 1900s about how he didn't agree with ornament on buildings or in design. He wrote it during Art Nouveau, when everything was very decorative and ornamental, and it took a lot of extra materials and labor and time. He believed that surfaces should be smooth and flat. And anything beyond that was inefficient, basically, because of the resources that it took and that it would become unfashionable sooner. So he actually loved a very decorative surfaces, despite them being flat. He loved marble. He loved, like, timber. So he sort of kind of brought a decorative element into his work like that. But he didn't believe in this sort of, like, extra ornamentation. And so that's where... I took the title from. <laughs> and it also came from a quote from Monique in Wawawa because she also said, for us, ornament is not a crime. So it's a bold title. It's a bit of a statement. Isn't it the investment in that ornament? But not ornament for the sake of it. You know, like all the rules, that like there were rules about that ornamentation, whereas they're kind of taking it way further. He wrote at a time when technology and materials and craftsmanship was very much different to what it is today. So as homeowners and people with houses, if we want to kind of take some things from this or some concepts or some themes and to think about what do you think we should be taking from this book? Yeah, I think some of the key ideas are sort of like a juxtaposition of materials and colours, things that you might not traditionally think go together. So just kind of like playing around with things, sort of, trying new things in there playing with scale that's another one so things that can be sort of oversized to make a bit more of an impact a bit of humor and I think some of the main things are kind of like meaning and personality so putting things into a design that mean something to somebody say a color for example or that the concept and the overall kind of like mood or palette of the place is derived from some kind of like meaningful connection to the people who live there. I think the boldness as well, like these projects all demonstrate, and look, I'm looking at an image which is fearless expression, but it fits in place. You don't have to be that brave. You can do colour, you can 
you can use things that work for you and it should be your house. So it should be personal and for you and things you love. And like you do very much get a sense of who the people might be that live in these houses, which is what I think you should get. Yeah, it's being bold and being confident in your choices because they're about you. Yeah, and actually if you love it, it doesn't matter that much. I know I'm not this playful with colour, I have to say, but there's a lot to be learnt from it. And I, I love that you've put this together and, you know, we can then go on that journey through your eyes a little bit as well with the explanation of, you know, how you can apply those concepts and themes to kind of current design. Yeah, and even thinking about sort of wall coverings differently. There's an apartment in Milan where the walls are covered with this imagery of a forest. So you're sitting in the middle of the city, but the owners wanted to have the feeling that they were a lot more connected to nature. Again, these are not everyday designs, (laughs) but just different ways to think about the space. Well, it's an extreme concept that they've delivered, but it's been delivered well. And I guess a lot of these would take such skill. (laughs) You know, when you pitch into a client where you're looking at your house and you're going, I really want some really bright blue cabinets with some aqua in the middle, maybe an orange chair and like some orange perspex. And the beauty is that the designers have been able to do that and it's been delivered and pulled off and it looks beautiful. So we can all kind of get a little bit of inspiration from things that aren't so pared back and so refined and so muted. Yeah, one of the themes that definitely came up in me talking to the designers was how much trust the clients had in them and they had had a bit of free reign. They, the clients knew who they were coming to for their design, so they knew that you know they wanted something a bit more out there and then they trusted the designer and then they had that bit of free reign to go with it which is really nice isn't it but that that trust is earned I would say (laughs) yeah and backed up by a a portfolio where they can you know see the style or the approach beautiful so if you want to get a copy of this book you're in all good bookstores I assume I know you can buy it online so ornament is not a crime and are you working on any other books I do have one that's about a third of the way through, which is a different topic. It's related to American history. And it is a labor of love that I will hopefully return to soon. (laughs) And maybe an idea will spark soon for another one of these books. I would like to do another one. Just waiting for that, waiting for that big magic, that idea. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. I love the fact that it's come through and it's also so different. You know, the fact that you've gone out and you've sourced these projects that speak these themes and you've been able to pull them together and tie them back. I think there should be more books like this that make a statement and are less, here's a series of pretty projects, and but more, here's a series of themes that speak to, you know, and, and are inspiration because they're not what the average person could pull off or how they would choose to live. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really what I wanted to do create something different and also hopefully that people might look at postmodernism in a slightly different way. Well, thank you for talking to us today and we will speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.